Let me tell you what this political movement is about. Jobs and growth for all Australians. Gone jobs and growth. Have great jobs. Economic growth. Strong growth. More jobs. When they go low, we go high. So I'm seeing in my mind something very similar with this bill to a colonoscopy. Let me just stop you so you don't waste a line of questioning. I'm just giving you... I love the mansplaining. I would build a great wall, and nobody builds walls better than me, believe me. Please clap. Please clap. This is Represent. 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 On Sid Nation. Welcome to another episode of Represent, uh, the hour of politics on Sin Nation. I am Tash. I'm Julia. And I'm Zizi. On today's show, we uh, have a lot to discuss, but we're really excited for Pop Chat, actually. So excited for Pop Chat. It's <laughs> going to be great. a lot coming your way. Um, but first, we're going to discuss the tr- uh, Trump's announcement that the US will be exiting the Paris Climate Accord. We'll be talking about Ireland's election and the historical win for the centre-right party's leader. We'll also be taking a look at the 25th anniversary of the Mabo decision that was made in 1992. We'll, and we'll have the details of what that means later on. And of course, as always, we have Pop Chat, which we're, we're talking for. about so many interesting things. <laughs> Not just Kofivi, but like. Yeah. In like important things. Important things. It's going to be great. <laughs> um, so that's the perfect closing segment to an otherwise heavy political episode where we offer up the most newsworthy, hilarious, or awkward headlines from the week. Don't forget, you can get involved too. Just send us a tweet to at SinRepresent or find us on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash SinRepresent. But we're going to start off with a song, as always. This is Saint South with Lover. You're listening to Represent on Sin Nation. And that was Saint South with Lover. You're listening to represent on Sin Nation, the hour of politics. And we are now going to be discussing um, the Paris Agreement and um, Trump pulling out of the agreement, which is a pretty big deal. We have a little grab um, of the prime, uh, not prime minister, the president of the United States, Donald Trump, um, talking about how he will withdraw from the Paris deal. I am fighting every day for the great people of this country. Therefore, in order to fulfill my solemn duty to protect America and its citizens. The United States will withdraw from the Paris Climate Accord Thank you. Thank you. But begin negotiations to re-enter either the Paris Accord or in really entirely new transaction on terms that are fair to the United States, its businesses, its workers, its people, its taxpayers. So we're getting out, but we will start to negotiate 
And we will see if we can make a deal that's fair. And if we can, that's great. And if we can't, that's fine. So a bit of a no deal um, with uh, President Trump over there. But uh, Macron had something um, pretty... I mean, like, it's a bit of a zinger. I wouldn't say it was a zinger. Like, it was a good, old-fashioned, Shorten-esque zinger. And um, here it is. Today, the President of the United States, Donald Trump, announced his decision to withdraw the United States from the Paris Agreement. I do respect this decision. But I do think it is an actual mistake both for the U.S. and for our planet. To all scientists, engineers, entrepreneurs, responsible citizens who were disappointed by the decision of the President of the United States, I want to say that they will find in France a second homeland. I call on them, come and work here with us. I reaffirm clearly that the Paris Agreement remains irreversible and will be implemented, not just by France, but by all the other nations. We will succeed because we are fully committed. Because wherever we live, whoever we are, we all share the same responsibility. Make our planet great again. Make our planet great again. Whoa. Sound words. That is a burn. (laughs) Um, Yeah. Gigi, what do you think of that? Oh, I... Personally, I think that the emphasis that Macron gave the Paris Agreement was more calling back to his domestic politics than to what the Paris Agreement Mm. actually represents. It's a largely symbolic agreement, I think. And so maybe his... He's, he's saying that this Paris Agreement will make the planet great again is just as overdramatic as Trump calling for America to be great again. Yeah, a little bit, a little bit. But <laughs> what a zinger, what a zinger. It's just like, and it's just the week after that handshake. Yeah, the that handshake. handshake. Oh my God. Yeah, I think that it's interesting that Donald Trump sort of um, used the whole idea that this was like a bad deal that America had got stuck into and that, um, I don't know, like there's been a lot of, sort of fact checks on his speech about that um like something that's non-binding can't necessarily be like draconian in nature um Mm. and I think that's kind of interesting and the whole um like Italy and France and Germany coming back saying you know we we won't be renegotiating with you um is kind of interesting and I see I'd like to see where he goes with that yeah I think it's it's really interesting because I know that um in America states have a lot of control about their emissions. I know that California is doing mm. an excellent job. And I mean, the question is, is actually if, the, if things are so state focused in America, how important is it actually for America as like, like you know, for, for like federal level international, federal international level, you know, ticking off a box when, you know, if, if if states like California are, you know, doing a great job in not only doing, you know, really good, good um, like, emissions reductions and also 
their economy is not failing. If other states are like, well, why don't we model ourselves a little bit more on on, um, on a California, like maybe that same, like goals will still be achieved in that way. It is actually, like, it's really interesting because there's been a lot of, like, protocols and um, agreements that are very nice and they're very, like, they're very nice because, you know, you get all the world leaders together and they're like, yes, we're all going to, like, work together and, you know, forget about differences and think about the planet. Um, it's a really good photo op. But, I, I mean, like, as much as they're very good and they can reignite lots of like good goodwill and people are you know starting to think more about what they're doing to the environment i do question actually how much these agreements are actually going to really change what people are doing i think that's a general criticism of international law in in total i mean we have these agreements um against um for an agreement of rights, you know, mm. for children, for people with disabilities, for the LGBTQI community, and when they're not actually legally enforceable in domestic institutions, these are symbolic agreements that the world makes. And for America to pull out of this symbolic agreement that the world needs to be concerned about climate change, I think is is still troublesome even if it doesn't have policy change, even if states still have, in America, still have fundamental control of their energy policy, of their climate change policies, the symbol that America is giving to the rest of the world is that this is not our priority. Mm. And maybe more more, um, tangibly what they're saying to investors and to people putting money into climate change policies, into climate and energy solutions, is that the American government is not behind this technology it's not behind Mm. these procedures that we need to take and i think that is while it is a symbolic change it will have tangible effects in in terms of markets and how people invest in energy i think one thing that i'm personally a little bit concerned about with um trump pulling out is this kind of um false ultimatum between good economic policies creating jobs um you know, economy building and um, and looking after the environment. And I think that's a really big problem. And part of me really, where I'd actually really like to see more than, um, you know, politicians coming and having these conferences is actually multinationals having these conferences. Because I think multinationals and um, ec- ec- economic factors like big businesses big businesses like Apple and whatnot, like, I think that they have more power than, say, a government well, you've to seen actually that, um, change emissions. A lot of CEOs have been a part of the government's advisory board, like Tesla CEO Elon Musk, and he, um, the whole point of him being there was to affect change from the inside. And since Trump has um, reneged on this accord, um, Elon Musk has said, you know, like, obviously... Uh, you're not going in the direction I want to go in and I won't be able to uh, make any change um, within the government. So he's left. So, you know, I think it's interesting when a lot of CEOs become a part of, um, like, government boards and government decision. Um, and the fact that he has left the advisory board is is kind of sad for, like, mm-hmm. us. <laughs> because <laughs> it would be awesome to have um, someone like Elon Musk within the government, um, like, uh, with, like, 
a rational input mm-hmm. towards um, climate change. It's also important not to diminish the role of government in making effective climate change policies. In Australia, we're having a similar debate on, you know, should we be giving tax cuts to mining companies, to, to heavy, heavy polluters, mm-hmm. and should we be fostering this really early um, emerging industry of, you know, green solutions? And governments can shape how successful solar, wind, geothermal power solutions are by but through their policies, through creating tax credits, through making them more marketable and cheaper energy solutions for everyday customers. Yeah. Well, this has been a very, very interesting discussion, but we're going to go to another song. Um, this is Esther with Ambition. You're listening to Represent Onsen Nation. We'll be back very, very soon. That was Ambition by Astaire. You're listening to Represent on Sin Nation, the hour of politics. We're yeah. now going to talk about Ireland. Ireland. We don't really talk a lot about Ireland. No, we, should, we don't. We really, really should talk more about Ireland. Yeah. So they had an election recently um, and the governing party uh, is centre-right party. How are we going to say this? Finn Giel. Finn Giel. Finn Giel. Um, so they've elected Leo Varadkar. Varadkar. Don't don't over confuse it. It's okay. Sorry, there's like lots of A's and (laughs) and, okay. Anyway, um, so he's the new leader, and this election took place after the former PM Ed McKenney had announced his retirement last month. Um, Varadkar is uh, gay. He's the son of an Indian immigrant, and he's the youngest leader in uh, to be elected in Ireland. So it's quite historic on a lot of fronts, um, and a lot of people are calling this. like the new modern face of Ireland. Yes. Uh, so he's it, like what, like thirty-eight years old. Yeah, like, like really, he's younger than Trudeau. <laughs> Trudeau's like forty-three, forty-four. Mm. Yeah. So, oh yeah. So, so it's it'll be interesting. Um. So he is a centre-right um, candidate, and his policies uh, sway that way. He's also been sort of spoken about. Um, being along the lines of Thatcher in terms of economic policy. Um, so, yeah, it'll be interesting to see what happens. We have a little little bit of audio um, from him speaking at a rally, and here it is. I think if my election as leader of Fine Gael today has shown anything, it is that prejudice has no hold in this republic. Around the world, people look to Ireland to be reminded that this is a country where it doesn't matter where, you're, where you come from, but rather where you want to go. And I know when my father travelled 5,000 miles to build a new home in Ireland, I doubt he ever dreamed that his son would one day grow up to become its leader, and that despite his differences, his son would be treated the same and judged by his actions and character not his origins or identity. So every proud parent in Ireland today can dream big dreams for their children. Every boy and girl can know that there's no limit to their ambition, to their possibilities, if they're given the opportunity. So that was Leo Varadkar, um, just speaking after... Um, Becoming the Taoshi... 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 Yeah. You see, we were talking about how to pronounce 
Irish words mm. and then I forgot it. It's, and I'm just like You have Grr. to have an accent when you like you can't Peaceful. just like yeah, just go through it. You actually have to commit. Yes. Which I think yes, is you really do. <laughs> um but yeah, it's pretty interesting. And I mean it is kind of and as like a youth station we should probably mention that, you know, having people who are just shy of forty um in parliaments um in other countries is really quite an important sign for mm. young people, even though, you know, forty, twenty one yeah, a huge <laughs> difference. But like it is really good to see that we've got more world leaders who are quite young and I think that might be a very interesting trend to mm. see later on. Yeah, he's also um he's been compared to the Canadian Prime Minister. Uh, Justin Trudeau, Trudeau and also the French president Emmanuel Macron in terms of charisma and I guess the youth aspect mm. um, but he's got a lot of so I'd say like the main concerns at the moment for Ireland will be um, how to deal with Brexit since Ireland is you know an immediate neighbour and um, they have close trading links so it'll see, it'll be interesting to see how um, the diplomatic and um, economic standpoint goes from there onwards yeah. Um we have to also remember that they're they're right next to Northern Ireland. It's basically a porous border between, you know, the UK, who has recently just left the Union, and Ireland. Mm. And essentially they've been cut off from the EU. Mm. There's a huge non-EU-aligned country in the middle of their trade routes. This could have huge economic impacts if there is a hard Brexit, uh, which could really stifle um, Ireland's growth. Aww. So mm. I think that, you know, they need a leader who will be you know, willing and capable to work with Britain even mm. if after Brexit. And, and maybe the fact that he does identify as a Thatcher-esque uh, economic yeah. um, position could go really well with his discussions and relationship with Theresa May mm. um, or whoever actually wins the British election. <laughs> oh, That's wow. a good point. You know, it might be uh, very different with Corbyn. Uh, oh. Yes. Um, <laughs> we we have to wait till the election actually comes, mm. and you never know. We it could be a big surprise. And but that's going to be one to watch as well. Yeah, the one yeah. to watch. Um, mm. um, so Finn Gael is in the minority as well. Um, so they're in a coalition with Fianna Fáil, which is the Republican Party, and they're more right wing. Mm. Um, so yeah, in, like to see how that develops since. Um, they are in the minority, that means that getting key votes will be a problem if um, mm. they don't have the support. So seeing how that works out. Yeah, um, there there is some criticism from the opposition um, on the left that even though it, he does lead a centre-right party, he will bring the party further to the right just because of the need for a coalition mm. and just his, his economic policies. So despite the fact he is a young person, we could still see some right-wing policies mm. coming through. Definitely. I also think uh, we have to talk about the fact that homosexuality was decriminalised in 1993. Mm. And, like, that's only uh, recent. Like, I was born in that yeah. year. And it's <laughs> insane. So then to come this far, um, obviously we still have a long way to go. But um, mm. it's just, it's really pretty incredible. And I think also the the fact that he is from a, a, a mixed-race yeah. immigrant background is a really big deal because, you know, like, I- Ireland is not considered to be a particularly multicultural country. Mm. Um, you know, obviously he's saying that, you know, he's had a, he's had support throughout, mm. um, which is 
really good to hear, but I think it's a really big deal. This is the first time someone who is from an ethnic minority has, you know, he's got, he's, he's winning on three counts. First, first queer person to be a leader of Ireland, especially in a country that has been very, like, it still hasn't, they still haven't decriminalised abortion. They're so like Very socially conservative. <laughs> very socially conservative country, uh, incredibly young for a politician and also um, from an ethnic minority. He was also a doctor, and I just, just, I just want to pull that out there. It's, it's interesting um, when I see... I, I find it really interesting and engaging when, you know, you have, you have politicians whose jobs weren't just political, like Trudeau used to be a teacher, and... Um, Although Trudeau was from a political dynasty. From a, yes, from so. a political dynasty, but has had, you know, has had real-life experiences mm. outside of that. Um, he you know he wasn't just prepping ready. Was yeah. like yo after you die, dad, I'm just gonna you know, take over. No, nothing like that. He's 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 had other life experiences, mm. even though he is from a dynasty, um, which I think is always an interesting thing when going into politics. I think that's something we are starting to lose in modern democracies: the um, non-political politician. Mm. Um, if if there is such a thing, uh, I mean, <laughs> I mean, we not have a to, career politician. Not a career politician. That's how I should word it, really. But we have to remember that Australia has had non-career politicians. We, in fact, I believe we had a yeah. train driver prime minister yeah. in our early days. Like we've come from a variety of leaders, and it's just maybe a little disappointing to just see a whole line of lawyers and business people. It sounds like it feels like uh, like the old American ideal. That sort of, I'm going to go to law school and then perhaps be a governor and then perhaps be president or mm. something. And you know, it's just so, so like, archaic and um, uninspiring. Definitely. Well, that was very interesting. And we're going to go to another song now. Um, this is Love's Gone by Harlow. Um, we'll be back very shortly to talk a little bit about um, the 25th anniversary of Mabo decision. Um, but you're listening to Represent on the Nation. That was Harlow with Love's Gone. You're listening to Represent on Sin Nation. So this week has been Reconciliation Week and it's been 25 years since the High Court handed down its decision on Mabo versus Queensland, which was a landmark case. Um, But I guess we should explain what Mabo is. Um, So it happened 25 years ago and it was done by... uh, What is his name? Is his name is his Eddie Marble. Eddie, Eddie Marble. Marble. <laughs> okay, because I was like, "There's a K in there somewhere." Um, and I think he's like his. The way he got into this was really interesting. That he worked at the James Cook University as a gardener, um, and then went along and did a speech um, about land rights and ownership. And then a lawyer said, "You know, you should like take this, uh, like make this a case." Um, but it's disappointing that it took 10 years for the High Court to make that decision and Mabu um, passed away before he could actually hear it being made. But it was basically um, to go against terra nullius, which is um, a Latin expression which means nobody's land. So when the British came, um, they basically just assumed that no it was no, yeah, nobody's <laughs> land. All that um, the Indigenous uh, community that they were affronted with were... Um, 
sort of too primitive to make laws and take care of their land, which was um, I, I the believe the controversy is that for flora and fauna they were classified as, which is mm-hmm. plants and animals, which is which disgusting. Yeah, <laughs> no other way. Explains the it. rationale for this, I guess. Mm. But um, yeah, like it's a it's a landmark case in our history mm. um, that took ten years for Marbo to work you know, a part of to make it. Well, I think the the most important part of the High Court decision from Marbo is the fact that the the High Court really went against the Constitution. It was a it was a point of judicial activism to allow native title to be recognized. Um, usually the High Court is just to enforce the Constitution, but in this instance they recognized that it was written in such a way in such a discriminatory and just factually incorrect way that they had to reform it. So I understand why it took 10 years, but um, but it's still, you know, a, it's a huge mark in legal circles as well as just Australian society because um, it led to the creation of the Native Title Act yeah. in 94, uh, I believe. 93. 93, yeah. And Paul Keating's famous um, Redfern Address mm. as well. So it's, um, yeah, really one thing progressed to another. Um, but I know that a lot of commentary surrounding it is that it, Although it was um, made significant changes, it didn't. Um, I don't know. Progress. Yeah, it's that same issue of like, you know, we. I'm talking a bit about this last week. Um, you know, the referendum was great, and it was amazing mm. that so many people voted yes. But at the same time, we still haven't. It, it has. It's like these little spikes that are great when it happens, but doesn't seem to maintain. Um, but I guess with I guess with Marbo, of course, you you set up a precedent of um, of land rights, and you have you know that kind of you know first brick off, and you can continue on with that, which is important and really good. But mm. yeah, so today is they are celebrating that day, and they do that every year. Um, and I think uh, his daughter arranges that. Um, Gina Marvo, mm-hmm. I think her name is. Um, so it's really nice um, to have that sort of legacy and uh, con- contribution yeah. to our reconciliation week. Absolutely. Yeah. Mm. To go back to a previous point, though, just really quickly, mm. to say the native title didn't have an impact is is not oh, quite God. fair. God, no. I mean, it's, it's true. It's there. Yeah. It has, while but... it while it has been limited mm. by certain policies and certain you know uh, elements of the legislation, we have seen you know large areas of land given back to yes, the Indigenous definitely. communities. Um, I think in five years ago there was 213 successful Native title claims, yes. um, which would not have been facilitated otherwise. I mean, yeah, absolutely. It's, like, massively important that it's happened. But it, uh, but I think, like we were saying last week, that, uh, and this is the case not only with Indigenous affairs, mm. but also, like, in regards to feminism, in regards to other minority groups, is that oftentimes there'll be a big push it's great it's great when it happens and then it kind of slows down quite a lot or it doesn't instill a guarantee of mm. future outcomes and like yes slowing down is important sometimes you can't get everything done in one big burst but Mm. at the same time you know it's justice that is slow justice that can take so long to actually come forth is not necessarily justice in a way yeah yeah. but it's still important and amazing and we should always be thinking about it but we should also always think and especially as non-indigenous Australians we should always constantly think about how we can improve it especially as we all have privilege Mm. yeah I think I think when it comes to 
more, I guess, on the ground issues like closing the gap. Mm. That is just something that just takes time and it's it's infuriating that it does take so much time to reduce the inequality, but um, not to forgive how slow it is, but it, it's a hard issue to tackle. This is a, a really tough system we've created of inequality and, um, you know, landmark decisions in the courts can have on the ground effects in at least trying to remedy some of that injustice. I guess mm. the um, maybe the whole idea of not the failure to guarantee um, future outcomes is we're seeing that now with the Adani uh, mine yeah. and the like to change the Native um, Title Act. Um, you know, it's just like things like that that where I don't know corporate comes into yeah. conflict with. Um, land rights. And also if you're looking at um, Row 8, which was a yeah. bit of a big deal back in earlier this year, that was one issue as, as well as the environmental impact. Mm. So, so yeah. I think <laughs> just on the Adani thing, uh, uh, issue, um, 126 Indigenous land use agreements um, are registered and covering mines and gas fields um, and they're under threat from infrastructure projects. So um, yeah, it's. I guess it's that whole like. I don't know. Conflict. Over, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I I believe, and I could be misquoting legislation, but the WIC decision under Howard really limited the the ability of people to claim na- native title if it's being held by mining companies or farmers, because yeah. we have to remember that was Howard's base. Um, yes. <laughs> electorally. <laughs> But um, so we, we do have some legacy issues when it comes to translating high court decisions to policy under specific politi- political circumstances. I'm not really sh- I'm not really sure around the Adani mine because I haven't been following the native title disputes, but I guess it's just symbolic of those conflicts. Mm. So despite the negative media coverage, Kofifi, is it time <laughs> for pop Is that pot? Is it? Is it? I think it is. Woo! <laughs> um, so, uh, everyone, I hope you got your your nice, warm, steamy kofifi um, <laughs> in your hands as you're listening to Represent right now, because um, it is pop chat and it's it's going to be an exciting ride. And of course, all exciting rides begin at one little place, and that is Trump's little tiny hands. It's time to <laughs> trash talk Trump. <laughs> <laughs> but this time it's not tash trash talking Trump. Um. Yeah, so kofifi is is the word on everyone's lips right now. And, Mm. I mean, I I have very mixed feelings about it. Like, some of the memes are, are like, on point, spicy as hell. But I I, I do kind of think, like, why is this such a big news story? It's because it's Trump. Everything Trump is newsworthy. The thing is, like, why is everything that is Trump newsworthy? I I have a lot of... Because he's president of the United States. I know, (laughs) I know, I know. But, like... But what like despite <laughs> the negative media coverage, like I, I mean, like I do think it's important. Like, I mean, tr- I think it- Trump's based himself, his presidency, especially using Twitter so much, on this comical ideal. Like, yeah. unintentionally, obviously, yeah. but the way he treat, uh, treats the media, the way he interacts with the media, um, and just the way he is is not taken entirely seriously. And I don't think that's a good idea. I it's mean, not you, a good idea. It's not good. But I think he, I think he's like not good. made his base Twitter. Like that's the way he communicates. Mm. So when he sort of like screws that up, it's like, well, we're going to get you. You see, you see, Trump is like i i'm i'm very paranoid about how i talk about trump on radio um 
or anywhere really because I do feel like Trump was very smart in his um, campaigning to make himself seem like a, a non-threat, um, to kind of call the media out as as like a uh, villain and then, you know, at the, originally like media was not against Trump per se, but it kind of became like that. He he created the boogeyman, and then the media have, has slowly become that boogeyman. And I think um, Kofifi is an example of that <laughs> because like threw me off <laughs> I mean, I mean, like it, it's important that you know. I I think it's really important that regardless of what you think, in, and like you know, I'm a journalist. My opinions do not matter. Who gives a mm. fuck about my opinions? My opinions don't matter. Um, but it's also things like we call him like Donald Trump. We don't we don't call him President Donald Trump, and that's really important for us to call him President Donald Trump because we've got to remember that he is the leader of the free world. Mm. Um, and like we may not agree with him, but that's not the point. And I, I am starting to worry that you know we we really need to, you know. <laughs> Like, we're living in a 24-hour news cycle. Unfortunately, typos are, like... <laughs> it's just like Unfortunately for Trump. It was yes. really funny, actually. There was this picture um, of CNN um, and, like, it was, like, Anderson Cooper being there and, you know, they're talking about Kofifi. And then on the little thing, the little kind of picture bit where they have words on it, I'm not really good at explaining graphics. things. <laughs> graphics. On the graphics, there was a typo as well. Like, uh, like I think they said... um. I can't remember the word, but there was a word that was typo, mm. and like everyone makes typos now. Why well, I, I, <laughs> I I don't want to broaden this out too wide, but maybe it's just Trump is almost able to exploit this problem of the media that we do kind of we don't treat President Trump as President Trump who has just come back from a massive climate deal, which we were just talking about earlier. We talk him at, about him as the guy that who said a word. And it became, he made a typo and then his press sec- secretary pretended like it was a word. I think that's, that's the most... Well, he even tweeted, like, have fun trying to figure out what it is. Yeah, he yeah. did. So, like, he's, he's I, into it. I think, I think Trump knows that Twitter is news now, mm. which I think is the more scary part that we don't have a, a journalistic institution to say, no... This meme is not news. <laughs> this yeah. thing that is on the internet isn't always news. We need to talk about what is in actually going to impact everyday Americans. And I think that's why everyday Americans were so eager to go against the media and to go for President Trump because he was exemplifying all the problems that he was talking about. I hate using this word, but he he in his um in the way he's been working with media or working against media, depending on how you see it. Um, you know, he's doing quote unquote trolling. It's great. It's amazing. It's it but it's horrible. It's like watching a car crash because I out of all the people who should understand when people are trying to, you know, get an attra- uh, get attention for things that are irrelevant, people who are working in the media should be the people who notice that the quickest. I feel like the media keep on falling into that trap. Keeps getting like kicked down. It does I get don't down. think that I think like they sh- like the media has played a significant role in and has lots of problems. But I don't think it's been as they've been as terrible oh, as no. it is. Like as though although a lot of um coverage of Trump Donald Trump, uh, President Trump, President Trump. <laughs> oh my God, um, is negative. I don't think Donald Tr- 
whatever. Trump is um, putting out anything that the media could cover that is positive. And mm. I don't think that covering Kafifi has taken any space away from covering his exit from the climate accord. Yes. You know, so I think that in the 24-hour news cycle, because the president tweeted out a typo and he is, you know, really unruly, it is newsworthy because he's the president. So um, it's important to acknowledge that word. Um, <laughs> and, yeah, so I don't think it just is one or the other. Yeah. And the nature of the media now, it's yeah. everything. And he is important. So speaking of kafifi, so there's been a bit of a kafifi. <laughs> no, Everyone's in just use it for their own definition. Now. <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna drink some kafifi and have a kafifi. Um, anyway, so there has been a bit of a kafifi in the sports yeah, world. Margaret Court kafified herself. What a kafifi. What a kafifi. Um, yeah, she's she said a lot of really terrible things. Um, she said that it will basically denounce same-sex marriage. Um, she's called homosexuality an ungodly lust for flesh. She says that... That LG- flesh. <laughs> that zombie flesh. <laughs> LGBT tendencies in young people were all the work of the devil. Um, he's, she said basically that's what Hitler did about um, and what communism did. I, I don't know. Because, like, Mind communism and, Hit- and, and Hitler are, like, you know, yeah. totally together. No, they're, like, completely opposite. So I'm going to read a quote just to set the scene. She said, there's a whole plot in our nation and in the nations of the world to get in the minds of the children. The children. Um, so she's, yeah, she's said stuff that's questionable. Um, mm. But we've had a long discussion about it. really did. So there are a lot of thoughts flying around, firstly, of why we care. Yeah, yeah. so this is, I guess, an issue that I've been thinking about, mainly probably because I'm not a sports person. I don't follow sports. But when I look at this issue, I see it in bullet points. I see this as a 74-year-old woman mm. who has been in the public eye and is rel- has practically diminished for a very long period since she left the sporting arena, saying something that is offensive. And when I see those factors put together... I don't see it as news. I don't see it as news either. I see this as a a woman who has all but retired from public life, making a grandstand against Qantas, who announced that they were for, you know, marriage equality. Um, And honestly, I I don't understand the public fixation. And I believe it's gone international. The international Mm. fixation on what is effectively just a sports star saying something stupid. This is not new territory. Mm. Sports stars have said stupid things in the past. um, And Australia continues to see a whole lot of terrible things happening in our sporting arena. Why are retired sports people any different? I I find it really, like, it would have been so much better if it didn't become such a such a viral news thing it's it's old lady yells at cloud mm. it's it's the same <laughs> it's the same you know simpsons shit posting that's kind so of like um and i think um like there's there's been some really good singers out of it like um so there is a queer party group called um closet and they often have famous people on their posters and they've got a, a famous their famous person for this week for this week's party is um, like Margaret Court and they're like, you know, this party's going to be full of lesbians just like tennis. Mm-hmm. I mean, like, that's really funny and all, but at the same time, like, what's the point of grandstanding her? Like, 
she's really like she's just she's just an old lady like she has her she we live in a democracy people are allowed to have um all kinds of views mm-hmm. no matter how you know against you know the, the rest of mainstream society yeah. is yeah uh, like while we should accept freedom of speech and the her right to say these terrible things i don't think we need to pay attention yeah no uh when these things are said we don't need to give this this international uh national debate that it has mm. become that being said let's not diminish the horrible things she said and i think also I all think the they were generally offensive one thing that i'm actually quite annoyed at is all the backlash towards margaret court arena mm. and i think I know that the arena has said that we do not condone what she said. And I think, and then also the whole like, oh, should we change the name of the court? Like, it's not necessary. And if you're going to do that, if you're going to change the name of the court, are we going to change the name of every single sports arena with somebody who had said something way back when? Like, it's it's kind of, it's just an unnecessary. And there's so much more important issues that are facing queer Australians. This is not, particularly important Mm. um it's it's someone saying something crap but there are many people who say the same thing and you know like it's it's really like not it shouldn't be this big of an issue yeah (laughs) (laughs) i mean i i get that but like i think that because uh australia is such a sporting nation and she's such a figurehead in the sporting culture it is kind of a big deal like Mm. um I just I can imagine like if someone like Rod Laver said the same thing I I think a lot of people would be really uncomfortable with um I don't know like still praising uh even though like the sporting and um social is different um I I still think that people associate the two together so as much as Margaret Court's tennis career is separate from her political and social views now um I don't think people see it like that Mm. and if anything I guess keeping the name of her of the arena will create some sort of like discussion that is separate from like a political discussion it's more on the ground level um but I do think what she said is a big deal because um you know it's it's not like especially in Australia when we don't have that sort of equal stance in terms of marriage um yeah, I think it's definitely a big deal. We won't be playing it right now, but um, one one person who had like such a good analysis of it was Craig, uh, Kate McGregor, um, who spoke at the drum. We're probably going to share this on our Facebook page. Mm. Um, and yeah, she kind of she went right in there. She said that you know, to the extent that like Margaret Court has lost the argument, um, it's not worthwhile you know, fighting this one person, but, you know, it's 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 more important for queer Australians and allies to live proudly and um, you know, kind of kind of flip it to her in 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 a very classy sense, you mm. know. Like <laughs> flip it to her in a classy sense. <laughs> but you know what I mean. Like yeah. um, you know, to be proud, to go out and and just, you know, almost ignore it, but not ignore it, like, you know, just know what she said. Yeah. Way. Know that what she said is wrong, mm. but also that we can be so much better than, you know, just all piling onto a 70-something-year-old. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's a nice place to end, I guess. <laughs> uh, yeah. That is all we have time for for this episode of Represent. But you can join us the same time next week um, where we will have more pop chat 
uh, and more awesome political discussion. Um, but also check us out on our Instagram page by searching for SYN Represent or find us on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash sin represent. I am Tash. I'm Julia. And I'm Zizi. And you've been listening to Represent. Stay political. Stay political. <laughs>